have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to uh, 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. We are finishing up our series this week on generosity. And um, I wanted to to read you this illustration uh, to get us going. uh, By It's it's about a guy by the name of Melvin Burns. And uh, he is an organic farmer. And he had experienced a string of thefts. And uh, Melvin made an unusual offer. He offered the thief a job if he would just return the tools that he needed to take care of his animals. Um, Burns said uh, to the newspaper that burglars are targeting pro- uh, properties um, in Nova Scotia, Canada, which... Uh, Uh, near his farms that had been robbed twice, he said, in as many months. Most recently, they stole $1,000 worth of tools, but prior to that, they took uh, $5,000 worth of animals, including six pigs and 40 chickens. He took to Facebook to offer two rewards. If anyone comes to him with a tip that leads to the recovery of his tools, he will give that uh, that person five pounds of my best Berkshire bacon. But um, the fact that the perpetrator took food, it made Burns offer a a second proposal. If the thief turns himself in or herself in, Burns will give him a job on the farm and teach him agricultural skills. Uh, Burns' personal training will make that person more employable and bring him, quote, respect. His, His official quote was, please, if you need money and are close to our farm, Offer your labor, offer your time constructively. It can earn you money, respect, and a future in the community as opposed to behind bars. I will offer you much for free and better things to do with your time, and that's no bull. Um, I want you to think of generosity in the context of kindness. Would someone describe you as a kind person? Um, what comes to your mind when you think, okay, this person, man, they just, they just evoke kindness. What, what, does that, what does that mean to you? Here's what uh, Isaiah said will happen when the people of God gather and good things happen. Here, here's what should happen. Uh, Isaiah said, The Lord has anointed me to, pro- to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And I want you to think of that, that happening in the context of being a kind person. You know, maybe not some, you know, one hour experience where the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and just moves, but how have you seen God use kindness in your life? Paul says this, hey, when you are filled with the Spirit, fruits come out. And it will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Kindness should be coming out of us. Um, that's, what, uh, that's what Paul says. And so, John, we're going to look at this five verses from John. And he's trying to tell the church, look, if someone were to describe our church, we've got to use this passage here as a litmus test. Like, are we really a church? Are we really doing the things a church should do? So I want to ask you that. Are we doing this, right? Is Westtown this, this church? Uh, if, if, if we read 1 John 3, 16 and 20, could, would they say, yep, this is what 
Westtown does. When the body of believers here come together, this is what it's like. John reads, uh, 1 John 3, 16 uh, through 20, reads this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Kindness. What's that? Um, when you read this passage, it's so strong. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. And it's horrible. It is frightening. Here are the ways you can tell if you really are a Christian. Are you really a Christian? Because here's what we know the Bible says. That there is Israel, but then there's true Israel. The Bible talks about the church, right? So we have the visible church at Westtown, but then we also know that there's the invisible church. And those are people who are really saved. Because you can come and give a testimony, and you could uh, fool any of the elders, me, whoever, and not really believe it. And John was diagnosing the church right there, and he was saying, look, I need a couple of diagnostic questions so that we can tell, hey, are, are we really a body of believers? Uh, and so this is what I want us to look at. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Kindness, what is it? What's a, what's a definition? Kindness is being, in a practical way, very generous, right? It's not loving, just meaning someone's loving, right? It's, it doesn't mean that you have this sense of feeling for someone, but what is kindness? It's, it's your time, right? It's when you put your money. It's when you take your talents. It's when you take your deeds and, and you place them somewhere. It's right, right where your heart is. That's what kindness is. It's treating something as precious. Where do you give your time, your treasures, and your talents? What are the most precious things to you? Because what God is doing here, what God is, even in reading this passage, like, hey, where, where are my, where's my highest sense of value on the, in this world? Where do I put all? Because it needs to be, per this passage, to others. Is that the way you live your life? When you think about spending two, five, ten thousand $10,000 on your house, Right? You think, okay, well, I spend all my time there. It's a renovation. Most of us in this room wouldn't think twice about that, spending all that money on a, res on a, on a renovation or, a, or maybe an addition to our house because, hey, it's, it's, where, it's where we live. Um, but what if God is asking, okay, what, where are we placing our time and treasures and our talents? What does it mean to be generous? Is it really about um, God or is it about you? Because the opposite of kindness is someone who's a miser. It's Ebenezer Scrooge, right? It's a hoarder, right? You've seen those crazy shows where you see, you know, houses stacked up with stuff. Freaks me out when I see that. I start getting the willies. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's weird. But um, 
when you think about, when, when, when John is talking about uh, kindness, he's saying, look, are you willing to meet all kinds of needs, right? Kindness is meeting felt needs with action, with deeds. Is that the type of person that you are? Um, and when do you feel those types of feelings in wanting to help someone? Um, and why in the world would there be need in this world? And I think that, I want to go through that, uh, some kind of layers of need that we have. And I want to show you a really cool diagram that I got from Smart Art, art off of uh, PowerPoint there. <laughs> See, we got four concentric circles. That's really neat. And um, I want you to think of need or separation from God in four categories. And what I want to do, I want you to think about the story of the fall in Genesis 3. Because basically Genesis 3 is an outline of this right here. If you read Genesis 3, it, co it, it directly coincides with the four circles here. Because when you think about Adam, Adam and Eve, right? And how all of our problems ultimately flow out of the decision that they made. And what did they decide to do? They said this, I am going to be my own master. Right? I'm going to take my life into my hands. Think about when you do that when you've done it this week, when you say, I am doing it, I'm taking over, what happens to your life? When you say, no, 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 I'm not trusting, I control, I white-knuckle it, this is, the way, this is the way it works with me. And all of a sudden, when they did that, right, there's like this Lake Placid, right, this serenity, and all of that was lost. All of that was lost. And the first thing that happened after that was what? was man became alienated from God, right? There was this disintegration, this disintegration with man and God. Because as soon uh, after Adam ate the apple, as soon as he took his life into his own hand, God came walking along, and what happened? We're told that Adam was scared. What? Why was Adam scared? I mean, they would walk together in the cool of the evening, it says. And all of a sudden, Adam is nervous. And what did he do? He hid. This is your boy. Adam, this is God. You've been, I mean, you've, you've had great times together and all of a sudden you are hiding. What does it mean to be alienated? To be out of place? Have you ever showed up at a big event either way overdressed or way underdressed? It's so awkward. You just want to leave. You just want to be, you know, you want to be in the corner. You don't want anybody to notice you. You, you feel so out of place. When you, maybe you're in an event where you don't feel kind of as savvy. Or maybe you're around a bunch of people that um, make a lot of money and, and you don't make as much of them and you feel alienated. It's to feel out of place. And here, for the very first time, something was out of place. There was alienation. And when you think about the first, you know, the first level, the core level, we see that when Adam hid, what? Separation alienation, spiritual alienation. That, that is the first you know, level, second level. It wasn't that Adam just hid. He hid because he was scared. Now, if he's living in paradise, and it's only after he decides to become master that what he experiences fear. And maybe you felt this, this kind of psychological alienation, right? But who is that with? When you think of psychological alienation, you think of Adam being scared. What's happening? You don't know who you are. It's from self. 
There's a separation from self. I don't know who I am. Have you ever felt like, I don't even have an identity? Like, there's nothing I'm good at. People don't know me as this. I, I, don't, I don't have a sense of self. Have you ever um, just stared up at the ceiling late at night, right? And thought, oh, goodness, all this is coming down the chute. And I just feel fear and I'm anxious. And at any moment during the day, I know I could have a panic attack. I know I could. And I live with that fear. Either I'm experiencing one or one's going to kind of rapid onset onto me. And, and we live these lies, as C.S. Lewis says, of, of, of quiet uh, desperation. When you lose your identity, when you live in anxiety, when you feel like, I just don't want to get out of bed. I just want to sleep all the time. I don't have any uh, motivation. There's nothing internally. You know what's happened? Is that you have what? You are alienated from an identity. And it's not that you're just alienated from God. It's that now you're alienated from yourself. Like, so if you don't have a relationship with God, who are you? And that's what's happened. And that's what you see all around us. You experience that third level. Not just spiritual, not just psychological, but man is what? Is also alienated from man. What happened the minute Adam and Eve sinned? Whenever they were described, they were naked, right? And what came after nakedness? They were unashamed, right? They were naked and unashamed. Naked, that's the way we are. We are physically naked. We are completely vulnerable. We are emotionally naked and emotionally vulnerable. That's the way Adam and Eve lived their life. So we are naked and unashamed. And all of a sudden, what happened? Shame. I mean, it exploded, right? It exploded into the relationship of Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, what do they have to do? What are we so nervous about? I don't want anybody to see me, right? I feel shame. And so what happened? Their relationship changed. It wasn't easy anymore. It wasn't, hey, we have trust the minute they started to hide from God, what? They had to start hiding from one another. And we see this in all types of ways. They could not stay absolutely vulnerable to one another. They had to cover themselves up. Nakedness, right? Absolute vulnerability. We cannot do that. Human beings are not capable of, of that because, why? Because of sin, because of sin in the world. So we have spiritual, we have psychological, now we have this kind of social alienation. I mean, think about it at all, all different types of level. Socially, what happens? You know, because of psychological and spiritual and now social alienation, what do we have? We have war. Just follow sin. We have war. We have, I mean, crazy racism in the United States. We have, hey, you're in this camp and I'm in this camp alienation from one another. I mean, I mean, I want to be as far away from them. We have crime because of this. We have divorce because of this. We have complete family meltdowns because of this. We, we aren't able to get along with people because of this. And it, it begins to just flow. So if you're, if you're separated from God, then you're separated from self, and now there's separation from others. But that's not, that, that's not the, the, last, the, the, the last kind of piece is we experience physical alienation. I mean, that God comes to Adam after he sinned, and he said this, Adam, because you have decided to be the master of your own self, right, and your own life, you will no longer be master of my universe. 
Because you've decided to rule self, you won't rule mine. Because remember, before sin came into the world, what was Adam tasked with? Here, Adam, here's what I want you to do. Subdue the earth and dominate it. Have dominion over the world, right? And I want you to, you know, kind of categorize the animals and, and have dominion over the world. That's before sin came into the world. So work, right, is not a product of the fall. There's blessed work. We were made for work. However, God says, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going I'm, I'm to put you here and um, I, I'm going to now make nature your enemy, Nature used to be Adam and Eve at your beckoning call. Now, it's your enemy, right? You're going to have to work, God says, you're going to have to work in the dust of the earth and the dirt of the earth just to have food, man. Um, And most of the time, you're going to have thorns and thistles in your crops. And you're going to have to deal with that. And it's going to be hard. You're going to labor. And and God says, you know what? You're going to sweat. And us Floridians know about sweat. And you're going to sweat a lot and you're going to be irritated, and you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be fighting the dust all of your life, and in the end, the dust will win because you will return to dust. That's what's going to happen. You have physical alienation. So the creation, right, we're, we're, we're ultimately um, alienated from creation. Because what? Because I, I don't want to be God's servant. I want to be my master. Because we wouldn't be his servant, we lost our mastery. I mean, that's the theme. That is a principle all throughout the Bible, right? The ones who are willing to serve are the ones who will rule. And and the ones who will rule will always end up being a slave. And so God says, you know what? Um, I'm over you, and now I'm over nature. And you know what? Um, It's going to be hard. Because not only are you going to work hard... But there's going to be sickness. You know, flu, this flu outbreak that's happened, right? That's from the, from the fall of man. Disease, cancer, that's from the fall of mankind, right? All of this, why are there natural disasters? Why are there earthquakes? Why are there hurricanes? It's because the creation groans for it to be perfected. But it's not there yet. It's still experiencing what the effects of the fall. So we got spiritual needs, right? A lot of people feeling guilt, no purpose. We got psychological needs, depression, anger. We don't know who we are. We're anxious. Social needs, war, crime, divorce, poverty, oppression, injustice. And now, physical needs, hunger, famine, sickness, disease. What are we supposed to do? Like, what would Westtown Church do with this? What do you do when you see all the different layers, right, of separation? I mean, what does that do to you? When you think about, okay, well, we got to look to Jesus, right? I mean, we just got to look to what Jesus did. And um, some of us, I think, believe, look at the first two, the inner core circles, that Jesus came just to preach salvation sermons. So here's what Jesus did. He came and he said, you need to not burn in hell. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. And uh, if you believe in that, then you know what? You will um, live eternally. Other people say, no, 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 no. It's all about the social justice. So give people a cup of water Give people a Band-Aid, and that's what we need to do, right? Educate people, social justice. Some people say, get them saved. Other people say, no, no, give them a cup of water, right? Um, give them something to eat. And what did Jesus do? I think it's, it's, it's very clear. He preached the word, and every single time Jesus preached the word, read, if you, you know, it might be good for you, um, it's good for me. 
is to read the book of Mark, right? The gospel of Mark. Because it's the fastest of all the gospels. It's like action. It's like Jesus did this, 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 and this. And if you see him preaching, you know what Jesus always did? He always did some type of miracle. He always healed a blind guy. He, he took leprosy away from a body. He fed the 5,000. He turned water into wine. I mean, Jesus, as much as he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus met physical needs. And we like to separate them. But Paul says, look, if a church is working well and it is filled with the gifts of the Spirit... Here's the breakdown. If you want to read all the gifts of the Spirit that we get, it's 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12. Here are the list of gifts that we're given as Christians through the Spirit. You have gifts of counseling. There's gifts of preaching. There's gifts of teaching. There's gifts of exhortation and gifts of evangelism. Some would categorize them over here, just preaching the gospel, getting the truth out. But listen to the other list. But also, you have deed gifts, Gifts of help, gifts of mercy, gifts of service, right? I mean, they're all together. The inner circle needs are what we would call spiritual or psychological needs. And some of us in the church just want to meet those. But think about it, the world. Think about someone who's not a Christian. They walk in here. They're not going to be sensitive to the Spirit. They don't know what they don't know. They can't sense anything. They can't see anything. They can't hear anything. God hasn't opened their eyes yet. And so all they can see is the, you know, hey, we're in America and we're divided. And you know what? If I go, um, if, if I go down under the 275 under the overpass there, yeah, there's homeless people. And if I go down to downtown Tampa, there's homeless people there. If I drive up here into uh, town and country here, uh, right off Hillsboro, there's a, there's a park full of them, full of homeless people. Like, I see that alienation. But they don't see the spiritual one. But Jesus, every time he came, he preached, or he was mighty in word, he said, and he was mighty in deed. He didn't just preach. Jesus always met physical needs. Note this in Matthew 25. Um, Jesus, it says on the judgment day, here's what Jesus says he's going to do. He's going to take all the people and he'll divide the true Christians from the fake Christians. And he'll say this, you can come into my kingdom. Why? Because I was hungry and you fed me. Jesus says, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. That's why you're coming into the kingdom. I was naked and you clothed me. I was without shelter and you took me in. I was in prison and you came to me. I was sick and you visited me. They will say, when did we see you in this condition, Lord? We, Jesus, we never saw you hungry or whatever. And what does he say? He says, because you treated these little ones like that. You treated me like that. They don't say to other people, it says in Matthew 25, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. They'll say, when did we see you in that condition? And Jesus responds, in Matthew, because you turned your back on all these all around you. You turned your back on me. That's what Jesus says. And when I read these types of passages, I get nervous. I get really nervous because I'm like, wait, what is Jesus saying here? Why would the Bible say this kind of thing when... Everything in the Bible says we are not saved by deeds. We are not saved by our action. Why would Jesus say this stuff? This is freaking me out because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it is by faith, right, that you are saved. 
It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's not of any work so that no one can boast. That's what I memorized. That's what I try to preach. And all of a sudden you read Matthew 25 and he's like, dude, you didn't give me something to drink. You're separated. You didn't give me clothes. Here's what we know. We know we're not saved by our good works. And there is nowhere in the Bible that says social workers will go to heaven first, right? It says you're saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. So what in the world is Matthew 25 about? The only answer that we have, because Scripture never contradicts Scripture, we have to understand it in context, is that it's not the deeds of kindness that save you, but the deeds of kindness show whether or not your faith is real or it's just lip service. It shows you, it's an indicator of, hey, do you have the Spirit inside of you? Because, hey, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, then you know what? That is growing inside of you. That, that should be moving, right? You are willing to what? You're willing to burden yourself for people around you who don't have the same kinds of things that you do. That you say, I know you don't have a dad. You come and sit with me at our family table, our dinner table, and I want you to experience my dad. I want you to experience some type of fatherly love. I know, right? I, I know that you have um, experienced this. Um, and when we do that, when we take the spiritual, the salvation message with the works, that's what Jesus says, right? That's the, the full gospel message. Listen to this quote by one of the um, most evil early Roman emperors who hated Christians. This is Julian, Emperor Julian in the second century. Listen to what he says, um, because he tried to stop Christianity, and he couldn't. He kept growing and growing. He was ticked. He's like, what in the world? So he's looking around, and this is not a Christian. Here's what he says. Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. This guy didn't have the spirit, but you know what he could see? He could see Christians meeting physical needs, right? He could see Christians that were unified and not divided based upon socioeconomic class, race, whatever you want to call it. He, 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 would, he could see that. Now, we know that the reason the early church grew is because uh, kind of the spiritual dynamite of the word of God and the spirit of God, because that's all we have that actually does things. But from the secular mind, he's thinking, wait, wait. Okay, maybe it is. They're, they're meeting physical needs and they're unified. But he, didn't know, he doesn't know the Spirit of God and he can't hear the Word of God, so that's all that they can see. And so when we think about, hey, are we meeting physical needs? Are we meeting the needs of our world? You know, for the early Romans who were, weren't Christians, here's what they knew about Christians. Um, Christians only had sex inside marriage, Right? And they gave crazy generously to the poor. That's what they were known for. They kept sex inside marriage and they gave their money away to poor people. I mean, those were the two defining characteristics of the Christians in the early, in the early Roman times. Don't you think that would still preach today? <laughs> I, mean, we don't, I mean, just if that's what the church was, was known for. Because, man, the way in which they lived their lives, right? I wonder if kindness could look could look like that. All right, 
So one qualification here. Um, what is counterfeit kindness? Right? What is, what is counterfeit? What is fake kindness? Because a lot of people, I think, we believe, I believe I can be kind. But when you really study what the word says, right? The counterfeit of kindness is this kind of sentimentality. Or um, it says, look, I care about people with, with needs. I care about, but I'm pretty strapped myself. That's what fake kindness sounds like. Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher during the Great Awakening, said, uh, yeah, he said that they who are poor may be obliged to give for the relief of others in greater distress. He says, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. But how else will we bear one another's burdens? If we be never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when can we do it without burdening ourselves? Then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burdens at all? What is he saying? He's saying what I say too many times. I can't afford to help people, right? But what I'm saying is I can't afford to help people without it burdening me. And kindness it's a dude carrying a hundred pound plate and you saying, you know what? I need to take 30 of those pounds and that 30 pounds is going to be burdened on me. But that's what kindness is. It's loving affection. It's caring. It's empathy with action. And when we begin to do that, right? When we begin to care for those that are in any of those uh, circles of need, I think we change the world. God uses it to change the world. And we as a church, I, I ask, you know, how, how can we do that, right? How do we do this? Because at, at some level, I feel like, what do I do if I, if I just don't feel that, Frank? What, what do I do if I, if I don't feel that in my gut? How do we cultivate kindness in our lives, right? And the reason I think I, I feel this in studying what a number of pastors and commentators have said, um, one said, if you are a Pharisee, if you basically believe God accepts you because you're a pretty good person, then you're going to look around at people in need and you're going to say, buck up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And self-righteousness seeps in, right? I can feel that, right? You, you really begin to look at somebody else and, and they say they have a need and, and you want to be like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm not sure. You can work a little harder. And inevitably, when you begin to look at people like that, I begin to feel like I'm, I'm on the next tier. And the separation, the alienation begins to happen. I don't see myself as the same because, come on, you've got to have a work ethic. You've got you to work harder, and then the arrogance begins to seep in, right? But if you're a believer, right, if, you're, if, if you understand that we are all ragamuffins, right, Everybody in this room is a knucklehead. Everybody in this room, our best works are like filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. Your most righteous work is like a filthy rag, right? If you believe, if I fully believe I'm a sinner saved by grace, then why in the world, when I saw in our back property three, a uh, man and a woman and another younger woman, they were living in our back property for a couple weeks, right? They had tents back there. 
And Pat came and got me. He's like, yeah, I think we have people living back there. I'm like, what? And so we walk back there, and they kind of get up. It was like 11 or so in the morning, and they get up, and they kind of got close to us. I could smell them. I was like, whoa, you know. And you're just like, hey, you're, you're there, right? You're that type of person. Oh, you're one of those needy ones. I mean, you're the true homeless. And then, you know, you begin to like, why does my heart in that moment, why do our hearts not just break at that moment? Because I think at some level, I can't identify with them. I think, no, no, I'm different than them. And then when you read the gospel, right? When you read the gospels, and you, and you say, you know what? No, no, I, I may not physically smell like that, but are you kidding me? I'm the worst smelling, spiritually smelling person ever. And I am in the same position as they are. My righteousness is a filthy rag. And when I look at that person, I am just looking in the mirror. And anything else is heresy. That's what the scriptures tell us. And when we can see that, when we can see need, and that's a mirror. It's not a window into somebody else's life, but it's a mirror reflecting what we are and the alienation we've got. Then we get small and we get humble and we see need as something that we want to be kind to, right? And I think we will change because there are no deserving people. We are all undeserving. How do you deal with this? I'm going to end with this quote from a famous Scottish minister. His name is Robert Murray McShane, and he was trying to give a sermon to his congregation um, about this kind of idea of kindness and about what, what can we do, how can we have empathy, how can we... And um, he was talking to them about generosity, and uh, he, says, he said this, he said, um, Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine, you pray to be made all over in the image of God. Um, but if so, you must be like him, like Jesus, in giving. And then he quotes Paul. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Some of you say, he said, here's your objection. My money is my own. See, I earned it. Answer. Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. If he would have said that, where would we have been? Another objection might be the poor, you know, many, many of the people who I could help, they're undeserving. The poor are undeserving. Christ might have said, these are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? No, I will give it to the good angels, the deserving poor. But no, he left the 99 and he came to the one. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Another objection might be, if I give it to someone, they may abuse the money. Answer, Christ might have said the same thing, yet with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more, and yet he gave his own blood. My dear Christians, if you would like to be like Christ, give much, Give often, give freely to the needy, even to the thankless. Right? It's not your money or your treasure or your time I want, my dear friends, but your happiness. It's what Jesus said, it is more, is why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. And then he ends it with this. I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because 
they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give your time away. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. And if that didn't just diagnose my heart of the objections that I come up with and why Satan will work in my heart to not be kind and to be a miser and to hoard, and Jesus is giving it all. Where are you? And this is just not about money or time. This is relationally. This is giving to those that don't have the answers. Are we a kind church? Are you a kind family? I went down to Presbytery. Um, we had a Presbytery meeting yesterday morning. And I, I was thinking about this. And just noting my own heart, I, I, I drove past the church where the Presbytery was before it started because I wanted to go see where the Rays might have their location. I got my priorities in straight, right? right you know? So I wanted just to go see, you know, where the Rays might build their stadium. And so I, I drove down there, like, I think it's 60, and then kind of around there. And I was like, oh, here's this 10 acres. And look at all these... Boy, this is kind of, who, who lives here? They didn't keep this up. I mean, what kind of, we should easily get this land. I mean, who are these people? You know, they're not refined. These are, you know, these, these are um, simple people. And I'm like, who, who do I think I am? I am all these people. Why is this ingrained into my psyche? You know, we are rich Christians in an age of hunger. I think kindness, man, when we stare at Jesus and when we stare at the cross and this whole series on generosity, we just give everything away and watch your life change. Do it in your marriage. Do it with your checkbook. Do it with your time. Your life will change. I know God wants us to grow in this area, so let's pray and ask God that he'll work uh, in us as a church. God, thank you for your kindness to us. It leads us to repentance. Father God, um, When, when we hear uh, John give us this litmus test, may we take it seriously. Um, may we follow our feelings of empathy with hard and fast action. That, that, is, that is the full gospel. That is Jesus coming with the gospel of salvation and then meeting physical needs. We thank you for that truth, God. God, grow our congregation, Father. May we grow in your word and may we grow indeed in your name. Amen.